0: Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Rev. Todd Laddick, and today I bring to you a message entitled, uh, The New Covenant, based off of Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, and 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 2. So let us dive into the Word today. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions of the Lord uh, that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. And now from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 4 chapter 4, verse 2. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of, uh, the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. Amen. For many, God is as distant as the cold reaches of outer space. I'll say that again. For many, God is as distant as the cold reaches of outer space. Um, they, of course, believe in God and try to live good lives but in the end they do not have a close personal relationship with God and today we learn that closeness to God is not the same as doing good I'll say that again today we learn that closeness to God is not the same thing as quote doing good End quote. Rather, any good we do is because of God and our closeness to Him. As a pastor, I interla- interact with a lot of people, many of whom will claim to be people of faith, in particular, people of the Christian faith, all, of all sorts of denominational and theological backgrounds. Now most of these folks are average everyday people and their understanding of the Christian faith is both informed by their upbringing as well as their own personal reflections. <laughs> and I and I laugh at that not because of their upbringing but but I find sadly very few of these people are actively practicing in a faith community or attending to the ordinances of God, the ordinances being what God commands us to partake in, you know, community worship, uh, the sacraments, uh, you know, the Holy communion, baptism, um, you know, all of those things that are a part of the communal faith life, the, 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 the community of faith, um, you know, and, and, All of those things we're supposed to be partaking in. So sadly, very few of these are actively practicing in a faith community or attending to those ordinances of God. And fewer still have any understanding of what the Bible says about salvation or how to maintain a relationship with God. And this isn't just people who aren't practicing, but this is even among people who are in the church practicing actively. And I hear all sorts of beliefs from Christians that are simply not biblical, let alone accurate to whatever faith they were pulled from. For instance, many Christians will say they believe in karma. And yet they don't truly understand karma from a Hindu perspective. And their beliefs are simply made up from whatever they have may have picked up on TV or in the movies or in books. Certainly not the kind of beliefs I would be willing to bet my soul on personally. Like when people hear karma, they basically think, you know, like what goes around comes around, right? <laughs> but when you understand karma from a Hindu religious perspective, which is where karma comes from, right? Hinduism. And then, you know, Buddhism, um, you know, which came out of Hinduism. Karma is a uh, you know much different thing than most people realize. It's not what goes around comes around, uh, or at least it's not as simple as that. So you know these a lot of these beliefs that are just you know forming in people's heads as they live life, pulled from this and pulled of that. That's not something I'd be willing to bet my soul on personally. I'm um, one such person. I was talking to happened to be uh, a Roman Catholic, and out of the lot of Christians, Roman Catholics tend to be more aware of the doctrines of the church. However, some of those doctrines get misunderstood. For instance, again, I was speaking to this Roman Catholic person a little while ago who said to me, "I just want to do a good good enough. I just want to do good enough to shave off a few year, extra years in purgatory." <laughs> now, Put aside the fact that purgatory is never mentioned in the Bible, especially not in the Christian canon consisting of 66 books, this kind of understanding is both common and mistaken. The understanding that we have to earn our way to God or we have to earn our way closer to God because of all the points we, we scored that took us further and further away. But we often think that we have to earn our way to God. That if we don't, quote, do good, end quote, it will count against us in heaven, possibly barring our in- entrance. What's more, many Christians believe that because they are Christian that suddenly they are impervious to sin and that they are, quote, good, end quote, Christians. Good Christians. And these supposed good Christians seem to forget what Romans chapter 3, verse 23 teaches us from, you know, the Apostle Paul. For all... Have fallen For all have sinned and have fallen short of God's glorious standard. The, the, the reality is that Christians aren't good. no, No, Christians are people who have recognized how not good they are without God, who have turned themselves over to God, and it is God doing the good through them. It's not them who are good, it is God who is good. And God is working through them because those people have turned their lives over to God. So this idea that there's a good Christian out there, like like good on their own power, is silly. Now John Wesley, the father of Methodism, taught quite differently than that. Actually, as did almost every other, uh, you know, Orthodox, so to speak—not Greek Orthodox, but Orthodox in the sense of. Uh, You know, mainline Christianity from now back to when Jesus existed, including the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox and the Protestants, all in that family tree. Um, John Wesley, the father of Methodism, taught quite differently. First, John Wesley defined salvation as something quite different than the common understanding, and the common understanding being that we go to heaven as opposed to going to hell. Like, if you're saved, you go to heaven. If you're not saved, you go to hell. You know, that sort of thing. For Wesley, pulling from Scripture, salvation was both the justification or pardon for our sin and the sanctification or purifying of our sinful selves, transforming us into whole and Holy children of God. In other words, salvation is the moment we are forgiven of our sins, and the Holy Spirit begins to perfect us in God's love. It's not a future happening, like as in I'm saved when I go to heaven, something that's going to happen down the road when I die after I die. Rather, it. It has happened presently, and that salvation is leading you closer and closer to Jesus. Second, Wesley understood that salvation, both justification and sanctification, happens only through faith. That is the only condition for salvation, period, end of story, that one believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Period. That's the only condition for salvation, that you believe and profess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. End of story. Good works are never sufficient for salvation. Only faith is. Only faith. Through the co- new covenant, through the new covenant, sealed through Jesus' blood. And finally, As a result of sanctification, we produce works as the fruits of our faith. That, as Wesley put it, that and that alone is the scripture way of salvation. Now, it's common for us to turn to meritocracy when we are trying to understand salvation As we believe that if we do good, it must mean that we are on the right track or that we are good people. But that understanding is theologically flawed, and here's why. We don't have the power to do anything but sin and evil, apart from the grace of God. So, if we do good at all, it is is solely because of God, not because of our own ability. Therefore, we do nothing. It is God who is doing the good through us. It is God enabling and empowering us to be agents of good in the world. And to think otherwise is to negate the gospel. It's to negate the good news of the new covenant with the lie that it was not God through Jesus Christ, Rather, it is by our own power that we are good. And ultimately, if we are good, we don't need to be saved, right? Theologically, friends, theologically, it is vital for us to get this right as Christians. You may be wondering, well, who is he to tell us that we're not good or to define salvation in such ways? You also may be wondering, what makes John Wesley right? Or how do we know that Wesley's understanding was truly scriptural? Okay, okay. As good Methodists, I'm sure you would never question the sagely wisdom of John Wesley. But let's say for a moment that one might question such things. In our very readings today, we see that scripture points us to the same exact truth that it pointed John Wesley. In Exodus, we are with Moses as he comes down off Sinai with the fifteen, oops, ten, ten commandments. Now that's a shameless Mel Brooks reference, I, I recognize. But here is Moses coming down with the ten commandments Because he had been in the presence of the Lord. His face was glowing like a light bulb and he had to put a veil over his head to dim the light because the people were afraid. The Ten Commandments, of course, represent the law of Moses. The Big Ten, yes, but also the other 603 laws as well. And this is where The Apostle comes in. In his second letter to the Corinthians, or to Corinthians as it's called by some, Paul draws a comparison between people of the law and people of faith. Utilizing the scripture we read in Exodus. For Paul, he likens the meaning of the veil this way. The people had to hide from God's glory because they were sinners with hardened hearts. They they hid because the law exposed them of their sin and were literally afraid of God's wrath. Thus, they were veiled away from God as a result. In Christ, however there is no reason to hide from God because Christians have the hope that they are not saved by following the law, but rather they are justified by God's grace through their faith in Jesus Christ. And out of that, our hearts are on a journey of sanctification which aligns us with God and and really in, in which we end up fulfilling the heart of the law. For Paul, the law, the law points to Jesus, period, period. The law points to Jesus. There's no other way to look at it. There is no way to satisfy the law but through Jesus who paid the price of our sins and thus satisfied the law, and continues to satisfy the law through the process of sanctification, until one day we are free from evil, sin, and death. What's more, in the fourth chapter of his letter to the Romans, Paul reminds us that before the law existed, before Moses, before the law existed, Abraham was counted righteous by God because of his faith. And Paul's not just making this up. Rather, he's quoting scripture directly. It says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Faith. Faith was always the answer. But as humans, we tend to lean into, quote, good deeds, end quote, and keeping up appearances. Faith was always the key to the new covenant. Yet we hardened our hearts and attempted to try and follow the laws through our own good nature. Thus, we became slaves to the law. And saw people as being created for the law, rather than the other way around. And by the way, without God, our nature is not good. We don't have our own good nature. We only have God's good nature if we turn ourselves over to God. So friends, this is why Paul this is why Paul is so important to read because he was a Jewish theologian and understands Jesus through that lens. He brings us the closest to Jesus out of any other source aside from the gospels, which were all written after Paul's letters were already circulating. He brings us the scripture way of salvation, and that is faith. Faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. This is the way of the new covenant. What's more, on Transfiguration Sunday, we remember Jesus meeting with Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets on the mountaintop. We also remember that Jesus was transfigured and shone as brightly as the sun, declaring to the disciples and to the world that through Jesus we no longer need to hide from God, for we are saved by our faith in Christ and his redeeming sacrifice on the cross. How have you considered your own salvation? Have you been stuck in that vicious cycle of trying to earn and earn and earn your way into God's love or into heaven? What things are holding you back from putting your full trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? We often don't like to feel out of control, and so perhaps this is why we struggle admitting we don't have control, and why we struggle turning our whole hearts and lives over to God. Or perhaps we've been studying and learning from other sources more than from the Bible, or maybe exclusively from these sources and not the Bible at all. Perhaps we listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil or name your, quote, positive thinking, end quote person, and spend a little time weighing what we hear and spend little time weighing what we hear with, uh, from them with what we hear from Scripture and what Scripture says. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you can't listen to those or other sources, and sometimes we find truth in them. I'm not saying those sources are bad, but when we don't know what Scripture says and something Quote, unquote," sounds nice to us, we may think it is biblical, and it's not. Just because something sounds nice doesn't mean it is. So again, I'm not saying that you can't listen to those or other sources, and sometimes we do find truth in them, but the Bible is our only authoritative source, and it should be our primary reading and or listening. Now, as a congregation, and in my congregation anyway, and, and perhaps in your congregation as well, well, that not perhaps, definitely in your congregation as well, but as a congregation, we are called, we're being called to get our theology right so that we can properly witness the truth to people, that we might witness to people the real good news of the new covenant that is, with us in Jesus Christ, and that there is nothing we can do to earn that love and that grace. We, all, we already have been freely given it, brothers and sisters. Remember, friends, we, we are being reminded of what we as Methodist Christians believe, that we are not saved by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We are being reminded this for our own spiritual welfare and for the sake of spreading the gospel, the good news, to others. So let us take this seriously, drawing closer to Christ through scripture, prayer, worship, giving, fellowship, small groups, mission work, and partaking regularly in Holy Communion. And let us grow deeper in our faith so that we can share it with others. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this this message of hope, of inspiration, of reminders of your love for us and what you've done to save us, as well as a challenge to us to to be a people of the new covenant, a people who follow you, Lord, rather than any law or the what the world tells us we should do. Lord, any law that comes from you is put forth to lead us toward you. And any quote-unquote law that takes us away from you or causes harm to others in a way that disgraces you, has lost its purpose, Lord. And so we we thank you for guiding us to be a people of grace and a people of your new covenant, so that rather than trying to live up to the letter of the law by our own uh, ability, which will always lead to failure, rather than doing that, Lord, we turn to your grace and to your love and to your mighty help so that we may rise out of the ashes of our sin and into a new life eternal, not made with hands, not human hands, but made for all time in the heavens. And we thank you, Lord, for Inviting us to be a people of your love and of your kingdom so that we may be ambassadors and representatives of your kingdom, Lord, which is where our citizenship lies. So in all things, Lord, we ask that you bless us and keep us so that we may bless and keep others around us in your love and in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, always, it is a, a wonderful time for us to to get together every week, and I always look forward to this and uh, hope that you're getting something out of it as well. Uh, as always, if this is your spiritual sustenance for the week, um, you'll see in the episode notes, uh, well, first off, there's a lot of links there that you can check out, but you'll also see... Uh, links to Tithely or paypal which helps the ministry of first united methodist church of newton which is where i serve again this ministry life-giving order uh messages is free uh it is completely free and for anybody to listen to no matter what but if you have it in you and you can support us that would be great um or, well support the church anyway that i serve and also, uh, if, if this is not your main s- spiritual sustenance, but you attend another congregation or something elsewhere, and this is just supplemental, uh, you know, then support your church community. I'm sure they could use it. And if you have it in us in you to support us both, then, uh, well, then there would be two very grateful congregations, uh, uh, uh towards you for, for your support. Anyway, uh, with all things said, remember, folks, you have been richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace.